0: Welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. There are lots of shows on how to improve, on how to become successful, but there is only one on what to do once you are. This is essential because success can be a catalyst for failure, especially if it leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. This show is about how to become successful at success, It's for high performers who are on the edge of exhaustion, solving problems completely before they even arise. It's about turning tedious tasks into joyful rituals. It's about simplifying your processes and making your most essential activities the easiest ones. So if you're a driven, hardworking, productive person who is running out of space, but still wants to make a higher contribution effortlessly The What's Essential podcast is designed especially for you. So let's begin. Scott O'Neill, welcome to the What's Essential podcast.
1: Greg, it's wonderful to be here. I'm a huge fan of your work. Essentialism, that book, is a key piece of how we train and teach and develop at Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, where I work, and we talk about it in my family as well. Uh, the concept of Jomo is something that I really struggle with, but when I'm when I'm exercising essentialism, I'm happier, I'm more grounded, and I'm living a better life. So, thank you for all you're doing.
0: Well, it's such a, a pleasure to have you, and so nice to hear you you say all of that. You, you yourself, in your new book, "Be Where Your Feet Are," uh, share a, a, perhaps a surprising approach uh, one that maybe we wouldn't expect coming from the ceo of the philadelphia 76ers you're making this case when we're moving at 115 miles per hour we rarely see the war coming but you write that it comes to all of us and when it does we grasp for lessons for meaning for purpose and i wonder if you could just start us off by giving the story
1: behind the story sure well um the immediate story is, as to how we got to here is I had met one of my best friends in the world at Harvard Business School. His name is Wilfred Carden. And um, 20 years later, I got a call in the middle of the night, and he had taken his own life. A wonderful, bright light, bare hug of a man who had an incredible presence and a light in his eyes and a wonderful family with five beautiful children and a wife, Nicole, who was amazing. And he suffered from depression. And while I was speaking at his funeral, I'm looking out into the audience and I kept having that notion of he will never be able to share a lesson he's learned. He will never be able to impact or influence these incredible young kids. And I started to spiral at that point into what, what I guess is grief, but uh, struggling to get up in the morning and struggling to get to bed at night and bursting into tears in the middle of a meeting and walking out. I mean, it was, it was a very tough time in my life. And and what I started to do was write to heal. And what I kept writing was lessons I learned. And as I opened up to friends of mine, I found the same thing. I found that, you know, that the world is messy. And when you're young and you think that life and success and family and everything that you have, this vision of what life looks like when you're quote unquote successful, in your faith, in your work, in your family, it's just not as linear as you thought it would be. Let's start with that for a second. What does it mean that life isn't as linear as you expect it will be? I just had this vision when I was 22 that everything would be smooth and easy. You know, I was relatively smart. I was very hardworking. I had a vision for what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And I thought it was going to be a a nice little smooth elevator ride to the top. And instead, it looked a lot more like a roller coaster. And I had some issues and challenges. And like I was president of Madison Square Garden and got fired. I started a company in the dot com boom days, and it evaporated to nothing. You know, I've I've been out of work, out of luck, and out of money a couple times. I, you know, I've had my own struggles as a dad and a husband, trying to figure out who I want to be and where I want to be. But, but the one commonality was. That's where all the learning was taking place. Like the analogy of get to the top of the mountain misses the the fun part where all the learning is. And that's the journey along the way. And I, I think that today, you know, we are in a 15 seconds of fame world and and the life that you see on TikTok, if you're my teenage daughter, or on Instagram, if you're my wife, or on Facebook, as you're, if you're as old as I am, or LinkedIn, as I see my colleagues, life looks pretty good. You know, we got fancy vacations, kids getting into great schools, the wonderful success on the field or court or ice, um, and that's wonderful. And I love seeing those uh, with my friends and those I love. But if you if you peel the onion back a little bit, one layer or two layers or three layers, and you ask and see some vulnerability, you, you get to learn that that life isn't that porcelain little china doll, and that it's a little messy. And, and I'm okay with messy. And I want I want everyone to be okay with messy. And because that's where all the lessons and learnings take place. And so that's what this book is really about. And that's how I I've found it so surprising for me in life. Because when you're standing on top of that mountain, a few things are for sure. One is, it's pretty lonely. Two is, I'm looking for the next mountain to climb. And three is, I had a lot more fun coming up than I do standing on top. One of the things that
0: I really relate to in what you just said is the messiness of life. Uh, There's a sense sometimes, especially with essentialism, in fact, where I have noticed that people sometimes will get into it and they'll say, they'll try to be perfectionists in their essentialism. So they'll try and do everything through an essentialist lens. Lends perfectly right now, which actually isn't essentialism at all, but it's like the old ways die hard. And I mean, this is one of the reasons that I even wrote this new book, Effortless, is because I feel like there's a different way to go about what's essential. And part of it is the messiness. Part of it is, is it to embrace the imperfection of the journey. And that that's even necessary, that the messiness is part of progress. If you want to be a perfectionist, fine, but you will not be as happy and you will not make as much progress. And I, I feel a similar theme in what you're trying to communicate right now and in the new book.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you want to see messy or what we call the NCAA tournament, you come to our house around breakfast time when the girls are getting ready for school. I mean, that is survived and advance time in our house. And um and I, I look, I would love everybody to be um, getting ready for school on their own and neatly tucked into the table and we could say grace and have a wonderful blessing on the food and serve some nice pancakes that I'd take to flip. It does not look like that in our house. I mean, it is chaos and that's okay, you know, um, and I, but I do want to make sure that we are spending the time we can, because that's not the time for meaningful conversation in our house. But we have to carve out time because time flies by and they have school and sports and boyfriends and homework and and i have work and games and activity and action and we have to make sure that if we have that 45 minutes at night that we spend it the right way and that we put our phones down and keep our heads up and that we just spend time talking um, and finding meaning i mean the world is providing so much opportunity to have meaningful conversations around social equality and politics and, and purpose. there are so many lessons we can learn about being present and where we are and and, and I'm far from perfect and I have a, an incredible partner, my wife Lisa who I've been married for 25 years who who she gives it to me straight. I mean the other day we we're out to dinner and you know I've got a first place team in and, 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 you know the Eastern Conference and the Sixers and so there's a lot of pressure coming down the home stretch to see where we would shake out it would be first, second or third. And I was checking scores and she, she looked me dead in the eye and said, I'll wait. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, that's a powerful message. And she said, no, I'm serious, I'll wait. I was like, no, no, I was just checking. She's like, no, I know what you're doing. And if that's more important, let me know when you're done and we'll, we'll keep going. And I thought, man, what a, great, what a great lesson. What a great message. I mean, one, it shows me still being on my journey, but the need to have someone around you that will give you real feedback. And, and you being smart enough and open enough and what we call palms up enough to actually listen and adjust your behavior. But we can be better and do better. What do you mean by palms up? It's just something, uh, language we use at work and at home. And, and, and if you literally take, if, you, if we were in video or we were in person, I would actually show you, but I, I have my hands, uh, my palms up and my arms out. The opposite of that would be me with my arms crossed. And I think your arms crossed give the message off of, I'm not listening. I know what I'm doing and you don't. And my palms up and open give the, the signal and the body language to say like, I can listen. I want to learn. I'm interested in what you have to say.
0: It sounds like one of the things that you're really saying is just not missing the moment, not letting the important things pass you by. Uh, and it reminds me of a quote that you have from Mayor Angelou. If you must look back, do so forgivingly. If you must look forward, do so prayerfully. However, the wisest thing you can do is to be present in the moment, gratefully. What are your thoughts about that? And just again, particularly, how does somebody who's going currently at 115 miles per hour,
1: uh, go about being in this moment, gratefully? Sure. First of all, Maya Angelou is a genius. And so anything she says I I love, listen to, and learn from. Secondly, I you know, I have this notion that we have some work to do. And and one of the things that I like to talk about is what I call WMI or what's most important. And I have this incredible coach, executive coach named Brendan Bruchard, and he told me that high performers spend 65% of their time on the three things that matter most. And I don't know if it's 65 or 80 or 40, but it isn't 15%. And, and so I went about for a few months doing an audit of my calendar. And this would be really interesting for everyone to do is you write down what's most important in your life and you, you can have different aspects. You can say your health, your work, your family, your faith, whatever those aspects are in your life that are critically important. And write down three things that you think are most important. And then match up your calendar and do an audit at the end of the week. And just drop each block in your calendar, drop in one of those little segments. And have an other as well. And unfortunately, what you'll find, I think, or at least what I found was, there is way too much in other. And so I, we need to be honest with ourselves. I either need to change what's most important or change the way I'm spending my time and energy. Because the first step is actually understanding what's critically important. And I find a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my friends, and oftentimes myself, spending time on what's quick, what's easy, what's expedient, and not what's critically important. So the first step in being wholly present, in my opinion, is to make sure that you understand what's critically important to you so you can put your energy there. And
0: so, then what's the next step in the process? What did you do next?
1: You know, for, for me, I started to better prioritize how I'd schedule my meetings. My hardest thing is something that you've talked about quite a bit, and that's saying no. And so, I got much more disciplined about saying no to things that aren't critically important.
0: I'm absolutely thrilled that Harvard Business Review is sponsoring this episode, because I go to hbr.org really frequently. I mean, literally just yesterday, looking up an article called Relearning the Art of Asking Questions, because I'm researching questions right now. And one of the things that I have found that when we're very little age two to five we ask questions incessantly as much as 200 to 300 questions a day and not surprisingly the amount that we learn in that period of time is exceptional it reduces significantly as we go to school where suddenly we're incentivized to come up with the right answers rather than to continue developing the ability to ask the right questions this is just one way in which I've been able to utilize hbr.org recently. So while much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code, Greg, right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, to save 10% off your HBR subscription, Go to www.hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter promo code Greg. Tell me this. Um, why did you write the book? What's
1: your, what's your why behind this? It's funny. I was, at a, um, I was in LA meeting some music executives and was meeting with Barbara Streisand's longtime manager, Marty Ehrlichman. And he wanted to tell me the secret to life. And I immediately pulled my phone out to video, it, which he thought was really funny. He's an older guy. He's been her manager for 40 years. And he said, number one, I want to be so passionate about what I do that I put my feet on the ground in the morning and I run to work. And I kind of just nodded my head thinking, like, I, can get, I can get comfortable with that. Like, that's something that I can identify with. And I said, what's number two? And he said, at home. I run run home with equal passion. And I said, I got that. But for me, it's slightly different. Although I love running to work and I love running home. But for me, my why is about developing the next great generation of leaders. And so I want to do that at work. I want to do that at home. And I want to do that with the youth I work with at church. And so that's what gets me up. This book is an opportunity to hopefully move people you said it really interesting. You said, this is not what I expected. This wasn't a book that you, you would expect from somebody who runs sports teams for a living. And I've heard that a few times. I'm, I'm much more interested in how I can be and, and why I can be than what I do for a living. That's my why is can I move someone? Can I help someone? Is there someone out there that can needs a message at the right time in the right way from the right person?
0: You say that the why is to develop the next generation of leaders, which I think I understand what that means. Tell me, why does that matter so much to you?
1: You know, I work in an environment um, that is notorious for poor management and poor leadership. That's the one. Number two, I'm the product of my environment. My my parents were leadership and development trainers, so. I mean, I was collating books for them when I since I was seven years old, and saw my mom up in front of a room of men um, for the first time when I was thirteen. So I think somewhat's in my blood. And three, because I can, you know, I've been really blessed. I've I've worked for some incredible, some of the world's best leaders in the world. Um, I have um, been able to test and try things at some of the biggest companies and brands in the sports and entertainment business. And I think people are yearning to be better and get better. It makes me feel good. It brings me utility. Uh, It makes me smile. It makes me feel like what I do and how I do it and how hard I work and the hours I put in is worth it when I can see someone lift up and the birdie flies out of the nest.
0: What is something that's essential for you really important for you that you're currently under investing in
1: boy you know covid has given me a a lease on life so if you had asked me that pre-covid i would have said uh my health and well-being for sure physical mental emotional and maybe spiritual and covid has helped me lean into those i have this notion that we have to do something for our mind something for our body something for our soul every day and so I fixed that and leaned into that. I'm not sure I'm living a the, the life and priorities I want to live right now. So I, I don't have anything screaming at me. Like If you would have asked me a year ago, we could talk for 25 minutes on that topic.
0: Mm. What concretely did you do that has helped you go from feeling like that was a, a chink in the armor to feeling
1: like, yeah, I'm not perfect at it, but I feel good about where I'm at? Well, I hopped off that crazy treadmill we're on. You know, I I work 150 nights a year. I was getting picked up at 7 a.m. You know, after getting home at 11 o'clock, I was sprinting everywhere and white knuckling everywhere. And, and COVID kept me at home. And I decided that, well, let's get a Peloton. I can't play bat- pick up basketball anymore. Let's get a Peloton bike. I get on a Peloton bike every morning. Hey, we have a pool. Okay, I'll swim after that. Um, I started eating better. I started like reading scriptures and praying more more intently. I started to get my myself in better stead and better shape. and then in terms of work i I found it I know some people found it really hard to compartmentalize because we were all working from home. For me, I found it like that I could get a level deeper um, because I was very transactional before covid i I would get on get off calls. I was just running, 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 sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. Now I got to see your cat or your dog or your kid. I saw hmm. you in your bathrobe. I know what your living room looks like and your bedroom and your kitchen. And, you know, I thought that that was some incredibly rich connectedness. And, you know, we started doing these exercises with my directs in the mornings. And for a while, we were doing it for six months. We did them every day. And uh, each of the executives had to have an exercise prepared for that that morning. And so you think about a relatively new team that's together and every morning somebody's saying everything as simple as find me a, a, a picture from when you were 10 years old to here's an article, how might it impact your life to, hey, here's a, a podcast. I want you to listen to it, share it with your team and come back with three great insights. And we did that for six months every day. Man, it was so powerful. Not only did we get to know each other and see each other and see pictures and uh, everything from your favorite song to your favorite sports memory to kind of really in-depth, deeper thoughts and topics. And we became, I don't know, I became richer, stronger, faster, more efficient, more sensitive, more connected. And that really has an impact on me still to this day. You have really thrived personally
0: in the pandemic months it's been you know that's what you're saying it's it's been a time of renewal of growth of going deeper of reflection of course it's not like that for everybody but i suppose the question that brings for me is do you want to go back to how things were before and assuming that you don't What's your plan for transitioning as the world opens back up?
1: Yeah, I'm not going back to living the way I was before the pandemic. So I um, as I've talked to a lot of my colleagues and friends running companies, I've heard a lot of the same messaging and messages in terms of better prioritizing who they are, why they do what they do, how they're going to do what they do and whether they're going to do what they do. And I I love those conversations and I love the thought of that. And the way I talk about it with my team now is how are we going to create the new normal? And I think we all have that opportunity. Uh, We're coming back online. Our offices are beginning to open up in the next few months and we have this chance to say, here are the new norms. Here is how we're going to be here is how we're going to interact what does life look like now, and why? Um, and I love, I love that, I love renewal, I love um, change and transition. I don't do very well as a status quo manager. I like change in action, and and I think this provides an opportunity to to get into some change in action. But man, am I grateful for the lessons I learned, and even more grateful for the opportunity to come out of the pandemic and try to reshape and reset some of the things we were doing and how we were doing them Uh, because I don't, I don't, I don't think many of them were sustainable. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, this is a, this is a challenge I'm excited about tackling. I was
0: just talking with Kim Scott, uh, the author of Radical Candor. Uh, And as we were, as we were just chatting together, uh, we, we started talking, she shared with me the idea. She says, I love a two by two, which she does. And she said, that here's a two-by-two two that's worth reflecting on right now. I thought this had such relevance. She said, on one axis, it says love and hate. And on the other axis, you have before the pandemic, during the pandemic.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: And it, it to me, it captures exactly the exercise we need to go through right now. because. There's a lot of people I'm speaking with who feel in a state of anxiety right now because, of course, they don't want the pandemic to continue, but nor do they want to go back to how things were before. And yet there's a rush as things open up, at least within the United States, as things are easing, as they're opening up. There's this rush to, from some people and from some leaders. Let's just go back. Okay, we've got to open the offices. Everyone comes back. Let's... And people go, well, yeah, I don't want what I've had, but I don't want to go back to what it was before. And so it's an anxious experience to just suddenly be back. It's like we need a transition period.
1: And I think that the next pandemic in the world is going to be one of mental health. And so as, as leaders and managers, we need to, to not dismiss the feelings because they're real. We need to not dismiss anxiety because it is real. And we need to provide tools and a model to make sure that these incredible people um, that are out and struggling have an opportunity to find themselves and find peace and be happy and be challenged at work and held accountable at work. Uh, But it, it is, it is absolutely real. Like the, the anxiety about coming back is real and the momentum to just, quote unquote, let's just get back and open them up is, is uh, I think, short-sighted, but definitely happening.
0: What's something that you
1: have loved and hated during the pandemic? I love family dinners. I hadn't really been to family dinners in 25 years mm. of work. Wow. And I'd read about them. They seemed lovely. <laughs> But, um, and, and, you know, my daughters, they're, they're creative and cute. And we had like color parties where you come dressed in a different color, stuffed animal parties, wear your favorite Jersey party, dress up party, Grammy party, Oscar party. I mean, we had so many, like, we, we just had different themes. they were really cute. Um, and, uh, and so that was, it was fun. And just, you know, it, being in the kitchen and cooking dinner with my daughters and my wife was just an awesome time. Talk about connectedness and, no phones and real conversations, and it was boy, that's great. What did I hate? I hated isolation. I I'm a classic extrovert, so which means I get energy from people, and so the only people I saw were my uh, my four ladies, and I you know would go into a store with a mask on, and get out as soon as possible. Um, I barely made eye contact for people with people, and for me, I missed games. I was in the. Or in the NBA, they held games in Orlando. They called it the bubble. And I went to my first game down there, it was at the bubble, and I was the only fan. So can you imagine going to a professional basketball game and being the only fan? It'll never happen again in my lifetime. Let's hope not. No, I hope not. You're you're certainly right. But as I looked around, I, I couldn't help but kind of smile. You know, here is someone who is just craving people and activity. And even at an NBA game, I couldn't find that rush.
0: This episode is sponsored by LinkedIn. I have worked with LinkedIn and used LinkedIn from almost its very beginning. Today, it has a billion people on its platform. And there's just so much opportunity built into all of that data. And I'm really excited about a new tool that they've built. It's called LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's for people to make the sales they want in a business-to-business setting. So they take all of this highly intelligent sales platform to drive higher revenue, increase your sales performance, but particularly in helping you target the right buyers to surface those key signals. For example, someone has a job change or which accounts you should prioritize so that you can find the buyers that are most likely to convert. It gives you the most up-to-date first-party data available to unlock conversations with the people that really matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash advisor. That's linkedin.com slash advisor. For a 60-day free trial, let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash advisor and get started. If somebody listening to this wants to do better, they want to do better in the midst of all of this noise, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this transition, and they want to just, you know, like... They just say, just tell me a very specific thing that I can do. One thing, I can do it right now. It's a tiny
1: change, but it can
0: make a big impact. What's that change?
1: If you're willing to take 60 seconds a day, which I know sounds like a lot. and I'm just kidding. For 60 seconds a day, I would today, as I'm listening to this, I would pause this podcast and I would text my mother and I would say, mom, I just want to tell you how much I love you and appreciate you. I remember when I was 13 and I was having a hard time, and you took me to watch a train. It to this day changes the way I see women, um, changes the way I manage and lead, and I just want to say thank you. you're amazing, and I hope to see you soon. I love you, Scott. So if you send some version of that to your mom and you get a note back that says something like, "Hun, are you okay?" <laughs> you need to do a better job now. If you take that idea, that 60 seconds, and one 60-second period a day, when someone pops in your head in the morning, and somebody will pop in your head in the morning, you send them a text, and it's just like, hey, checking in, thinking about you, love you, appreciate you. If you need to chat today, give me a call. would love to connect. I miss you. I'm just checking in on you. How are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? I think we need more of that. So you want something simple? open your eyes, be a little more intuitive, search and seek out goodness. Be a vehicle to say good, be good and do good. Check in on each other, connect, be a human being. Like we need connectedness now. I love that. I love that. What haven't we covered?
0: What do you want to say? What's one final thing you would like people to know, understand that we haven't covered?
1: I would like them in the words of, uh, of our former general manager at the 76ers, Sam Hinkie, I want him to trust the process. I truly, you know, Sam used to say, if you want to go to the moon, don't grab a ladder, which always used to mm-hmm. make me chuckle. And he also used to say, there are no shortcuts to the top, only to the middle. And I think that applies to life, just like it does in terms of building a basketball team. Uh, my last message would be, Have your lens be a little longer than the 15 seconds in front of you. And you can accomplish really big things, but you have to have a vision and then you have to put the work in. It doesn't work any other way. You don't don't luck into big things. You don't luck into writing essentialism. You just don't luck into it. You do it. You sit down and you write and you commit to it and it takes time. And then you have to promote it and that takes time. And your success, Greg, is not an accident. The success of this podcast is not an accident and you have vision and you're smart, obviously brilliantly smart, but you do. Um, And I want more people to do. I want, I like big dreams. I like big thoughts. I I just want to see the work behind it and a plan to get there. And I think if you have that vision and you trust the process and do the work, that really good things will happen. And I'd love for you to just ask yourself, why not you? Uh, six is going all the way. We're a good team. We're coached by an extraordinary coach in Doc Rivers. Joel Embiid, if he doesn't win the MVP this league, I can't understand what games they're watching. Um, Ben Simmons is one of my all-time favorite players to watch. He's a six foot ten point guard. who's built like a mack truck. We have shooters. We can guard. Tobias Harris is as good a third wheel as there was ever in this league. So I, I love this team, but man, oh man, there are 29 other teams fighting to the death to get there. Fortunately, they're down to 16 now. So I think we have a really good shot. Um, I've been in this business a long time, and I don't say that uh, willy-nilly. <laughs> um, I like this team where we're heading.
0: It's a very interesting season. It's been such a strange season, and obviously you have literally had a, uh, a front-side view, even when nobody else did uh, some of the games in the bubble. And... Uh, it's felt strange, even even as a as an observer, even as just a you know some somebody uh, enjoying the game from the outside. It feels like it's looser and could go almost in any direction with the teams we have left.
1: I couldn't agree more. It, it is the most wide open race we've seen in years in this league, and that's what makes this so exciting. I mean, would I like to be a more clear cut favorite? Yes, I would be. But being the number one seed is, is, is pretty good. It's the first time for me. So I, I can't wait. I'd, I'd love to get you and the family out for a game if at all possible. I know it's a hike.
0: This is a plan. We're going we're gonna to figure out a way to make that happen. We should keep going here because now uh, other great things are happening. Scott O'Neill, what a pleasure to have you on the What's Essential
1: podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your incredible work. You're making a huge difference in the world. And, and I love your pursuit.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that... If you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit.